Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. And what we have here is now we have some evidence of what the Giants are going to be this year. Because forget practice, they went on a field in a game, albeit a preseason game. And Odell Beckham Jr. didn't go on the field. He didn't play. So the Giants don't look like the same team when he's not on the field. We saw what happened last year, right? 13.6 points per game. Without Odell Beckham Jr. on the field, healthy. So it's just a little snippet. But a little snippet in live game action is a little better than nothing. So let's see what we what, what we noticed in the Giants preseason opener. We'll talk about where this team is overall. Uh, I'm taping this on a Friday, so... The preseason game was last night. The Giants lost to the Cleveland Browns 20-10. to But that doesn't matter, right? It means nothing. Nobody cares if you win or lose in the preseason. What we do care about are how certain players perform and certain areas of the team so we know what it's going to look like when they step on the field that first Sunday. It's not actually not the first Sunday in September. The second Sunday in September at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And here's what we saw so far, right? Saquon Barkley can make big plays in the run game. 39 yards on his first carry. That has to have Giants excited. Giants fans excited about the potential of this offense. And what I take from it is that I look at this offense, and you still see some warts with that offensive line. They were okay. They did allow a sack. It was on a, a little game up the middle where the running back and the center really needed to sort themselves out and, and really, really a, a missed blitz pickup. But overall, this is not going to be a great offensive line. It's five new guys to expect them to be great or even a good unit right off the bat. I think it's unrealistic. So what I think we're going to have with the Giants, and you saw this with Barkley, he took a run and was blocked up pretty good, but not great. He had Emmanuel Ogba staring him in the face, who kind of got off Evan Ingram's block pretty quickly. And But Barkley had to make a really nice cut there, right? A really nice jump cut to the right, work himself open, and then he just got upfield, used that 4-4 speed. And next thing you know, he's running down the right sideline, 39 yards. So you combine his big playability which we know he has. I mean, that's what Saquon Barkley is going to bring to the table, whether it's in the the run game, which we saw on Thursday night in the preseason opener, or in the passing game, which is something I've been raving about and Giants players have been raving about since he came, is how good he looks and natural he looks as a pass catcher. The big plays he's going to be able to make in those two areas, combine that with Odell Beckham Jr., who we know is a big play waiting to happen. His .8 touchdowns per game since he came into the league in 2014, pretty clearly the best in the NFL during that time. I think Tyler Eifert is second, and that's only because Tyler Eifert hasn't played that much. He's second in touchdowns, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, this is he's such a big play. Second in touchdowns since he came into the league in 2014, and that's with missing, what, 13 games last year and four games his rookie year. And the only one ahead of him is Antonio Brown, and not by much. So Barkley, Beckham, 
throw in Evan Ingram, who really, with his speed, should be able to make plays down the middle of the field, deep plays last year. Didn't happen so much in regards to the big play because they were, you had to use him as their, essentially as their number one receiver because of injuries. So his average per reception, just the big plays in general, I don't think really indicate what he can bring to the table and what he will with this group. So you got Barkley, Ingram, and Beckham. Potentially, you look at it, I mean, I don't think Barkley is going to be in regards to big plays. I mean, Alvin Kamara, that's probably his thing, right? A guy like Tyreek Hill at his whatever position you want to consider him at. Those guys might be better big play guys. Just Barkley might be, it's probably be, should be a better player than those guys, hopefully overall. But in regards to big plays, he's not, might not be the best at his position, but he's up there. Beckham is the best big play guy at his position. And Evan Ingram should be up there with the best big play tight end. So you got those three guys and then throwing Sterling Shepard. Who can make some big plays himself? And he has throughout his NFL career. And this Giants offense may not move the ball consistently. They may not going to be a run first team, but I came away from that preseason opener thinking this is a team that's going to make a lot of big plays this season. That's how he, that's how they are going to make their mark and score points this year. They're not going to be an offense that's consistently moving the ball. I mean, Eli Manning, uh, is a little too in, inconsistent he's always that's always been kind of his deal he's not a guy who's who's consistent with his accuracy and just moving the ball up and down he makes some mistakes but he'll be able to make enough good throws to make big plays and then get just get the ball into the hands of these guys right I think as a Giants fan that's what has to have you excited is their goal needs to be get the ball in the hands of these guys the Barclays the Beckhams the Ingrams the Shepherds quickly in space and let them make some big plays. And that's how the Giants are going to manufacture some offense this year. It's not going to be a great offense. I still don't think they're at that level yet. They're not going to have a, a consistent enough running game, most likely. And the offensive line is not going to be good enough. With They're just going to be moving the ball up and down every game kind of consistently. And uh, the offense is going to be looking good. It's going to go ebb and flow. It's going to be... Nothing, 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 big play, here we go, points. Nothing, 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 big play, points. And I think we saw that, a little snippet of it, on Thursday night in the preseason opener because Saquon Barkley, 39 yards on his first NFL carry, and then look at his next four carries, right? Four carries for four yards. So, I mean, it looks on the stat sheet 8.6 yards per carry, but really one good, one good, one great carry, and then four not so good carries, slash bad carries, right? And then Jonathan Stewart, when he gets in there, two carries, three yards. I'm not expecting much from him in the big play category, but so the Giants' first team run game, eh? One big play, 39 yards, seven. Uh, sorry, six other carries for seven yards. So that is kind of, I think. A microcosm of what you're going to get this season. So that's the positive, right? That's the number one positive. Now let's take away the top negative. The 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 one thing that you watched that game and you went away, you scratched your head and said, I don't know about this one. And I don't know how you can look at it anyway else with Davis Webb. I mean, he did not play well. 
admittedly did not play well, missed too many throws. He had throws there. I actually like that he made the right reads. He was making the right reads. He wasn't forcing the ball into spots that he couldn't get him into. He was just sailing everything. Everything was sailing on Davis Webb. Pat Shermer said he was too amped up. Davis Webb kind of agreed with that. And I talked to Eli Manning after the game, right? And Eli Manning said he's been there before. When he was a young quarterback, he remembers going into these games, preseason, first game, those kind of things, when he was a young quarterback, and just being nervous and being a little wild and erratic and not being able to find – you know, his groove. I mean, and that seemed to be what Davis Webb was doing. I, and I, I found it. I went back and looked at, all right, how did Eli Manning do in some of these early preseason games? And he did pretty well, but he did have one game, week three, his rookie year of the preseason, where he went against the Jets. I don't really remember much about this, but he was brutal. He threw for 20 yards, two interceptions, and had a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Okay, uh, so he had some really rough moments early in his career. Now this is Davis Webb's second year, but remember also, I don't. I, and and uh, look, you use this as one bit of evidence, and he played poorly. But you can't go and make an overall assumption. Oh, he's he's terrible. Okay, and you get this all the time. The, the Twitter reacts are crazy. People. Saying he's a bum, he's done, you know, he's garbage. I mean, relax, okay? We don't know. We really don't know. But this is one piece of evidence now that we're adding to the file, okay? Physical skills, yes, he's got him, okay? You see it every day. You see that big arm. You see the way he works behind closed doors, what everybody says about his work ethic, workaholic, coach's son. You like all that stuff. But you gotta see it on the field. In games. Now we know the Giants messed up last year, and I brought this up on Twitter during the game. These kind of rookie, we're calling it rookie because he really didn't play last year. These kind of rookie growing pains or young quarterback growing pains, this was the exact reason you wanted to put him in the games last year at the end of the year. Would he have done well? No. It would not have gone well. It would not have been smooth. But that was the whole point. It would have been an experience for him to get this out of the way. For him to learn from times when it doesn't go bad. To get through these opportunities where maybe he would be too amped up. And then this, this year, would have been the next step. Would have been like, you would hope that he would grow from that and say, okay, now he, he's gotten through the early jitters. He's learned which throws he can make and not make at the NFL level or what he can and can't do in certain situations. But now he's essentially going through those growing pains now because the Giants messed it up so badly last year. And I've mentioned this before. We talked about this before. Uh, to me, it's all on John Mara, This, this, the whole ridiculousness that Davis Webb didn't play. Okay, Ben McAdoo messed it up, right? He messed up the whole Eli benching I use benching in quotes because he really benched himself in a way uh, because the Giants had come up with such a flawed plan. 
But they were going to play Davis Webb. He said it this week. I've been saying it for months. We all know that the plan was to eventually get to Davis Webb. That was what Ben McAdoo wanted to do. He wanted to give him some experience, see what they kind of had, and see how that goes. Instead, the Giants fired McAdoo, which we all understand why that happened, okay? But then Steve Spagnuolo comes in. He has no real motivation not to play Eli. He's trying to win games. So all of a sudden, Giants ownership is all right with just going back to Eli. And Davis Webb doesn't play. So to me, that's on ownership. And these kind of things, hopefully, you never know. Maybe he was, maybe Davis Webb just isn't that good. We don't know. We're going to have to see him in more game action before anyone can really make that full judgment. But we could have got these jitters or too amped up kind of things. Hopefully that was, that would be the whole point of putting him in last year out of the way, but they didn't. So instead we watched last night. He was flying every ball high. Every ball was high. My, my notepad book, I, 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 I was looking at it earlier today. It says high, 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 high. I mean, that, that's, that's all it said for Davis Webb shows. Every throw was high. He was zipping bullets high. And I've, we've seen it at practice. I'm telling you. Most of those are throws that Davis Webb can make and make them pretty consistently. And he didn't on Thursday night against the Cleveland Browns. So let's go over real quick. Some studs and duds. Some people who impressed me. Some who didn't. Uh, I liked what I saw from Kerry Wynn. He made a couple big plays. He was in the backfield, forced a holding, uh, forced a fumble on special teams. Kerry Wynn, solid, solid effort. Mr. Preseason himself, Kerry Wynn, always dominates the preseason. And uh, this year, though, I think it's a little different with Kerry Wynn. He has a spot on this team and seems to have a role, right? His role, he's sort of like the nickel defensive end. That's going to come into games, be a special teamer. So nickel defensive end is a role that's pretty, fairly significant. So right now, especially with Josh Morrow being a guy who, the guy who they signed from the Arizona Cardinals being facing a four game suspension, Kerry Wynn has a role, especially as that nickel defensive end. And you saw him as a, you know, on the, with the second team really making a mark and, Wreaking havoc in the backfield. Another guy also. Strong training camp. The guy for you to watch out for. A.J. Francis. I saw good things again out of A.J. Francis. Now, I want to see A.J. Francis a little bit with the first team as well. Because I say this all the time. Second team offensive linemen. Especially in the preseason. Or, you know, some of these guys... They're not even guys that are going to be on rosters this year. So you kind of want to see how A.J. Francis can hold up or do. He hasn't done much in his career, even though he's a, uh, been around for some years. So to see how he does against some first team in some first-team action. I think that's going to happen as we go along here. But so far, impressive. And, and A.J. Fran- uh, Francis was also impressive to me, even though he really only – Got credited with one tackle, but he had a quarterback hit. He's in the backfield. He's getting pushed. I like what I'm seeing from A.J. Francis. Jalen Simmons, a running back. I think I, I mentioned him on a Giants After Dark segment recently, and he runs hard. That dude is – they call him Scoot. Uh, Davis Webb and a bunch of the guys in the locker room afterwards said they were impressed by Scoot. So Scoot, Jalen Simmons, 
the running back was pretty impressive in that game with how hard he ran and and he's got good speed for a guy his size. I mean, he's 240 pounds basically at 5'7ish and moves really well. So you see where the nickname Scoot came from. Andrew Adams also. Um Curtis Riley did not play. Curtis Riley might have been the favorite for the free safety, starting free safety job if he hadn't hurt his hamstring. He did not play. Darian Thompson started. Uh, Darian Thompson made the plays he was supposed to. Nothing spectacular, bad, good or bad either way. Bit solid, I guess. Uh, but Andrew Adams probably had the best game out of all the safeties. At least the free safeties. At least the guys in that competition. Seven tackles, one for a loss, was all over the field. Seemed to really, really stand out. So... Good effort by Andrew Adams. As far as the other safety, Landon Collins was really good. I mean, he wasn't out there for too long. What the, the pretty much the first quarter with that first team defense, but constantly in the backfield, Landon Collins was. I mean, he he had a quarterback hit. He, he had a tackle for a loss, and that's what we're going to see from Landon Collins in this offense. I mean, in this defense. And I'm not overly concerned about the defense as a whole right now. Uh, how they did. There were some things, obviously. Big plays really hurt them, uh, and that back end of the secondary is something we should be concerned about. But you know they're playing vanilla right now, and but we did see Landon Collins near the line of scrimmage just be a beast, and I think that's a precursor of things to come. And the kicker punter for the Giants both did their job. Riley Dixon as the punter, pretty solid. I believe he averaged like forty-five yards a punt, knocked some inside the twenty, did what he was supposed to. Good stuff there. Nothing to complain about. Aldrick Rosas hit his field goal. I believe it was a 42-yarder. So, you know, that's what you want to see him do. You want to see him make his field goals. No misses, no catastrophes. That means good on those ends. So, the struggling crew. Davis Webb, already mentioned him. Hunter Sharp as a returner. Pedestrian, pretty much. I had one decent return, I remember, but that was kind of like uh, he ran into a little uh, group of players in the back of a group of players and sort of bounced out and made it. But two drops for him, that's never good. I know one was negated by a, a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on the opening drive, but he's going to have to do better than that if he wants to make this team. Had another one later. That's concerning. The Giants return game in general is something I think we should keep an eye out for. Uh, the potential for them to have to go out and find a guy who's a, a all-purpose returner for them. I wouldn't put that out of the question because I it, nothing has really stood out in that regard so far. And the cornerbacks as a group, as a whole, were actually pretty worrisome. Did not play particularly well. Uh, Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple each gave up a big play. And I know Janoris Jenkins, Jarvis Landry made a great catch, jumped over his head. So nothing you can do about that. Sometimes that's, sometimes guys just make plays. Jarvis Landry is a good player for the Cleveland Browns. But the secondary as a whole, Leonard Johnson, the new slot corner, he made some plays. He looked pretty good, but then he let up a big play. Um, BW Webb actually started 
as the first team guy in the slot. And he did all right. So I think that's a positive. B.W. Webb, you could put him in, in the positive category. But as a whole, that back end of the secondary proved to be a problem. And Alec Ogletree, a linebacker, he got beat badly on a touchdown by David Njoku. That is something that the Giants are still, still should be concerned about. Are they going to be able to cover the tight end? The age-old question. We're back here every year with seems with the same questions with this team. Their offensive line still isn't good. They can't cover tight ends. Back those two things hanging over this team. I'm not sure they solved them. Not sure they solved them. The the early returns weren't great on that, at least on Thursday night. It's hard with this the training camp, right? To even keep your day straight. But so that's my fallout. That's my good and bad, my studs and duds from the preseason opener and kind of what I saw. So we'll leave it at that. It's just one preseason game. It's just the preseason opener, so I wouldn't go crazy about anything about that, making any rash judgments off one preseason game and week one of the preseason. Because think about it. In a month from now, you're not going to care about the preseason. You're not going to care about anything that happened in the preseason. It's all going to mean pretty much nothing in regards to end results. So just keep that in mind. And with that, let's bring in a guest. Let's find out a little something about the outside linebackers room. That's right. You're going to find out a lot, actually, about the outside linebackers room right now. On to the next one. So let's bring in Kareem Martin here, right? Newcomer. Giants defense, but familiar with the defensive coordinator. So what's, what's this transition been like for you in general? I mean, what, what, how's, how's New Jersey treating you in New York? It's been a smooth transition. Uh, for me, the biggest transition has been pretty much off the field. Just learning the area. Like you say, uh, <clears throat> I was with James Betcher the last couple of years in Arizona. So as far as the defense goes, you know, I knew everything on the defense. And so learning the playbook wasn't an issue because I already knew it. And, you know, my main thing coming here with the transition was helping other guys learn it. And, you know, if they had questions, sit down, spend extra time with them. And just trying to get everything, you know, for myself, is just getting adjusted to the surrounding area and the feel for the uh, city in New Jersey. We'll get to that in a second because you're a big photography buff, it looks like. But let's stick to the football side of it. So you're basically serving, you know your role as sort of as a teacher. And, and then... That's part of what you're you're trying to bring here. Is that, is that, yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah, for sure. You know, came here. You know, coming here to make plays and you know make an impact on this defense. But also, being a guy who who's been in the defense, who knows pretty much the ins and outs, and who's who's been with Coach Betcher and knows you know what he looks for and you know how how he wants things. So you know, I can kind of relay that message. You know, because it from, from player to player, you know, it'll hit a guy a little different sometimes than from coach to player. And having been in it with him, you know, been. Coach, I'm the same coach staff the last four years, and have him the coordinator the last three. You know, guys kind of lean on me for that. Okay, so we need the we need the dirt now on James Betcher. Okay, so tell us what, what kind of guy is he? How much does he yell? Is, you know, is it big, big cursor? Give, give me give me some of the dirt on James Betcher. What's the James Betcher scouting report as a person? Uh, he, he's a he's a great guy. Um, a lot of yelling. If if necessary, you know, but it's in a way 
because he knows you know it. You know what I'm saying? What, biggest thing on his defense is accountability. You know, we're going to install it. You know, if he if he feels like it's on him, you know, he owns it. He's like, this is on me. This is a new install. You know, we just walked it through. And if he feels like something he should know, you know, you might get yelled at. But it's in a way where it's not like, oh, man, he's getting down on me or makes you shake your confidence. You know, it's like he's trying to uplift you and motivate you. Like, you're better than that. You know not to make that mistake. So you know that you have his trust, but you know you got to be better. And I think, you know, holding each other accountable and, being having constructive criticism that way, I think it really helps a player build. I know it helped me in the last few years. We see him on the sideline during practice. Very demonstrative, like always oh, running around all over the place. Is, is that always the way he kind of operates? Is he is he crazy like that during the game? I mean, crazy in a good way. I mean, he's not like over the top. He's sort of running up there. You can tell he's living and dying by every play. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially in practice, you know. Uh, like say, it's not that much as much in the game. Not, or at least you don't notice yeah, yeah. it. No, you don't notice as much in the game as you will in practice. Playing, yeah, yeah and, and in practice, you know, you notice a little small stuff on the details and. And like I say, in practice, everything is scripted. So he knows what's coming. So he knows how it should look, you know, when, whenever uh, the play is ran. And, you know, he gets excited when the guys make a pick. If a guy misses something, you know, they have the same type of excitement. But just knowing, like, hey, you got to do this, he makes the corrections right there on the field. So if we see a similar play, usually doesn't, uh, you know, happen twice. You consider him a player's coach? Or is he sort of more the, the stricter disciplinary kind of guy? No, I'll, I'll say player's coach uh, because, you know, he'll listen to his players. Uh you know, we've had times where it was some defenses or something where it may be a little tough where guys are having trouble with communication or something. You know, he'll adjust it because at the end of the day, it's, it's not necessarily about what schemes you have. It's if the players can play it and if they can get it done on the field. And, and he understands that. So, um, so he's a guy, he's a guy you would go in there and sort of, uh, you know, just go over stuff with it in his office and say, hey, I think we need to kind of do this. And, and he would take your, your advice on that part? Yeah, I think so. And then that goes for any player, you know, if, uh, if there's a unit that feels like, hey, this right here is a struggle for us, is there a way we can do it? You know, I, I definitely think he's open to listening to it because at the end of the day, you know, we he can give us all the defenses in the world, but if guys can't do it on the field, then, then what's the point? And I assume, you, I assume you as players, you like that kind of stuff. I mean, you want him to, to be open to your suggestions. Yeah, for sure. You know, you have some coaches, you know, they live and die by that way, and I, and I don't think he's that way. He's a, like I said, you can go in there, he's approachable. He's, he's not one of those guys who's just like, you know, some, some coach can be intimidating and, uh, he's a guy who's really open. He's open for his suggestions. He goes into the meeting rooms and kind of bounce questions off, off of guys. You know, you see this play, what do you think here? And, you know, that's how you know that you can go in there and talk to him about a certain play or a technique, and, and he's open to listen to it. He pops into that uh, outside linebacker room a, a whole bunch? or Yeah, yeah, he, he'll pop in there. You know, that's his baby. That's what's his uh, coach right, of the right. position. That's what he did beforehand. Yeah, so, you know, he, he definitely have a, a soft spot for outside backers. But that being said, you know, he has a – he holds us to a higher regard, and uh, he – you know, he puts a lot on us, but, you know, it's, we get the biggest reward. All right, so to give us a look now inside that linebacker room, right? What's that linebacker room like? Does it, is it any different than what you had before? Or what? Uh, Arizona? Uh, no, it's, it's pretty similar, you know. Like, a lot of guys are pretty much laid back, you know. OV's the, the epitome of laid back guy, you know. He's, you know <laughs> That's an understatement, by the way, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, you know. But he goes there, gets the work done, and, you know, we got a good group of guys. And I feel like we all mesh well together. It's, it's not a boring room. You know, even though he's quiet and some other guys, you know, we still have a good time. You know, Robbie's leading the meeting. He keeps he keeps the edge off and, uh, you know, takes attention out of the room sometimes. And, and I think that's Robbie's what, Robbie Leonard. Yes, yes, Coach Rob. And, uh, you know, you need that, especially in a camp where camp, it, it can just grind on you. You know, it's a lot of uncertainty. And so being able to get better, you know, learn the defense and 
correct your technique, but also having a good time and to keep the stress off you. I think it's really important in a time like this. So funniest guy in that room is? Funniest guy in that room. Uh, I know. So me, me, Jordan, and Romeo, we kind of hang out. We it's Jordan Williams and Romeo Quar. Yeah. We, well, that's like the camera crew, by the way, right yeah. there, right? Yeah. This is the little photography crew you've created. We'll get to that in one second. Yeah, so uh, I think the, the three of us, you know, we kind of have like our little, little inside things that kind of just keep us going in there. So, you know, that, that kind of makes it pretty funny. And, you know, well, and OV, you know, have his moments where, you know, because he's just so smooth and so laid back that you can just laugh at some of the stuff sometimes. Loudest guy in the room. Loudest. Uh, we'll be the loud. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a layback room, like I say. I don't say maybe you don't have a loud guy. Don't you don't have that one guy who's just like you're like, all right, come on, man. This is it's too early in the morning for level twelve, you know. Oh yeah, I think everybody. That, that's a good thing because everybody's on that same level in the morning. It's just like it's quiet when it's and then afternoon it'll pick up. But you don't got that guy who's violating the, the time as far as it's eight o'clock meeting and he's in there. Hey, 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 you know. And I think that's what you need. Now, maybe not the positions, but not now. Who's the OG of the room? Oh, it's, it's a tie right now between uh, Ov and Connor. You know, Connor he, he's a lot more years, but it was Ov now? Can I, now you got two? Yeah, you got you got two guys who you know they got two different games, so you can uh, you know pick pick the brain of both of them, and they both play two different ways, and you know it's just something. Both both of those guys are good people to learn from. Most likely to fall asleep in that room is. <sighs> I don't want to call nobody out, man. We'll, we'll wait to have to get for that. <laughs> hey, I'm sure the fines say, say everything, right? Isn't oh, yeah. that how it goes? We don't got a sleep fine yet. Maybe, maybe that'll be something, you know, we go, go forward with. So let, tell me about your little photography club you got there. I mean, I'm, I'm making, I'm yeah. saying that in a joking manner because I don't think you actually have a club, but you, Jordan Williams and Romeo Aquari seem to be really big into photography. It's something that you guys seem to have a passion for. What, tell me about that and, and sort of how that came to be. Uh, so I'm pretty, I'm the newest to it. Uh, Romeo and Jordan, they've been doing it for maybe a couple of years. I think Romeo's been doing it the longest. Uh, but some I was always interested in, but then when I kind of hung out with them, they kind of taught me a little more. So I went and finally brought my first camera and I just kind of fell in love with it because, you know, it's, it's something where people can't tell you, oh, that's bad. This is good. This is bad. It's, it's art. So everything is subjective. And I think I like that subjectivity in something. I can take a picture right now. He can come take a picture and Jordan can take a picture. And they're all going to look three different ways. And right. you kind of got your own voice and your own custom creativity. And I think that's the fun thing about photography for me. How much, how much did that camera cost you? I, w- I want to know, what, what are one of these, you know, these are the, these, you're not talking about this little snap dog camera. You're talking yeah. about, this is, these are big dog machines, right? Yeah, so I have a Sony A7R2. The body was about two. About 2K, and then the lenses, they can get, the lenses, that's where the... Yes, this is no joke we're talking about yeah. here. This is like the real deal, this is, real, this is a real deal camera club here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, hey. So wait, who's the, who's the best photographer then? Uh, the best photographer? It's obviously you, right? I mean, of course, I'm, I'm going to pick myself, but you know, Romeo's got some good work. Romeo, I think he's probably on his way to almost getting about sponsored, you know. Oh, okay. We're going to have to have a competition one day. How about that? Me, you, and Romeo will go to the city, and we'll see who can come back with... Like you said, the best, but that's all subjective photo. But we'll leave it up to the this public to pick who has the best picture. Well, see the thing with Romeo, like with street photography, you know, you can take pictures of people, but it's all about confidence, and he'll he'll just go straight up to someone. They'll either be with it or not, and, and, he, and he's okay. Well, I'm still trying to get. I still got that little nervous tick where it's right, like, right. Uh, will they care or not? You know, that's what it's like being a media member too. Oh yeah, you just you just got. Just gotta have the you know cojones. You go up to people and you just ask them anything. Yeah, like that was gonna happen. Like if you look at same with a photo. Yeah, if you look at like Romeo's pages, like he'll just have random people up there, and it's just because you know he's walking, he sees a picture he might like, 
he, he snaps it and whatever happens after the, the picture's taken, you know, <laughs> you Fortunately, he's a pretty big guy, so I don't yeah. think they look and they're like, hey, you know, I'm not going to mess with this guy. So you have that too working for you too. So you, yeah. you should have some confidence. You could do whatever you want on these streets when you're what, six, six, two fifty ish. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's New York. These people gonna tell you what they, what's on their minds. Right. So. It's a little different. I'm like five eleven, one eighty ish, not in good shape. Yeah, so yeah. you know, if you got an expensive camera, somebody may come and try to knock. <laughs> yeah, they'll take it from me. Yeah. Keep the strap on your neck at all times. <laughs> Newest Giants outside linebacker Kareem Martin. Appreciate you time on to the next one okay let's get to our favorite part of the breaking big blue podcast it's called giants after dark when i answer all your deepest and darkest giants questions all right enough with the drama i like this question by breaking i mean sorry big blue united at Big Blue United on Twitter, asked me, we know Giants, I mean, we know Gettleman has strong ties to Stewart, that's Jonathan Stewart, but I think most can plainly see Gallman is much more talented back at this stage in Stewart's career. Will Gallman have a chance to move ahead of Stewart to RB number two? And it's hard for me to answer that question really definitively, but here's what I will say about this, right? Because... In reality, I think that Gallman is RB number two in in the fact that if something ha- ultimately would happen to Saquon Barkley, I would expect Wayne Gallman to kind of move into that role as the lead back, right? And Jonathan Stewart, he's just sort of in that fill-in role and maybe a short yardage role. So I'm not sure he's necessarily the... RB2 straight out. I know he's splitting snaps with Saquon now, but I think when it boils down to it, Saquon Barkley is going to get a majority of the reps. Jonathan Stewart will be sort of the short yardage situation kind of guy, maybe uh, used as a pass blocker here and there. And Wayne Gallman will be will come in here and there for some carries and stuff. But ultimately, if something happened to Saquon Barkley, I do think that... Wayne Gallman, and they realize he's the better runner of the two, that he would ultimately be the number two running back on the New York Giants. So, At Parker Friedman, question number two, asks, do you think it is a good idea to use Odell in the slot and Shep on the outside as a result more frequently this year? And uh, by Shep, you mean Sterling Shepard. I think it's a good idea to move Odell around as much as humanly possible and get the best matchups you can with Odell against whoever. If the opposing team is not going to move their best cornerback in the slot, I want Odell against inferior, even more inferior talent. So I think it's a good idea, and I think Sterling Shepard could play on the outside. I think he's ultimately best in the slot, but I don't think it's a huge problem to have him on the outside. Plus, some of the formations the Giants are using essentially – they're playing with more than one guy in the slot. So they can have formations where they're both really in the slot, or at least not flanked out wide. So I am really big into moving guys around and having Odell in the slot more. I think I've written about it in the past, about how I thought he should be doing more in the slot, and when he does – he, he, you know, he does significant damage. Also, getting the ball early. So, 
Um, let's go to the next question. At plus sign, Glenn asks, Team's, team keeps talking about O-line chemistry and stuff. Was there some issue with Richburg and Pugh or they or just being supportive? So let me say this about the offensive line last year. Yes, there was issues. I don't necessarily think it was with Richburg and Pugh. It was really more with Flowers and Bobby Hart. The way the offensive line was last year is they were a group. They were all tight. The whole entire offensive line was tight. With the, they went and did stuff. They went to movies all the time. They did all this stuff together, except for Flowers and Bobby Hart. So what the Giants did was they shoved Bobby Hart at the door. Flowers is still here, mostly because he's a first round pick and his contract is guaranteed. So he's still here, even though guys thought he quit on them last year at the end of the year. So he's still around and they're just trying to include him more. And make sure that he's not outside of that group, uh, sort of alienated from the rest of the offensive linemen. So I think that's more what they're talking about, not specifically uh, Richburg and Pugh were problems. Because to be honest with you, a lot of the offensive linemen that are still there were pretty darn close with Wes and Richburg and Justin, Justin Pugh. So I don't think it was necessarily them. I think it was more the group as a whole and the problems with flowers and heart and they're trying to fix that. And they know that everybody knows, everybody knows that including Gettleman, including Pat Shermer. They all know last year what happened with flowers and Bobby Hart. So at big daddy Farrell asks, can I be your intern? A uh, fair question. I get it often from people as I, as you know, I'm out on the field or when I'm out around, uh, you know, I, w- I wish, I wish I had an intern. I wish they gave it. I was important enough where they said, Hey, Jordan, we know you're so busy and you're doing so much that we need to give you an intern. But I'm going to be honest with you. That never happens. Never happened. That conversation with my bosses never happened. And you know what? It's not going to happen. So I'm sorry, but I don't have the pull to hire interns or even get somebody to hire me an intern. So, all right. Next, Chris Beckham at CM Beckham 24. If Landon Collins has a monster season, do you think the Giants are willing to negotiate a long-term deal during the season? I think the Giants would be open to that. I think ultimately the Giants, it's going to be a tough deal to get done though. Landon Collins is going to want to get paid, right? But, are the Giants really going to want to pay a ton of money to a position? And this is why the safety position this offseason was crazy. The safety market was really low and really down. So I'm, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to be able to come up with a, a number that both sides agree on. I think they probably have very different views of how much they're worth. Now, I love Landon Collins as a player, really good player. But at the same time, not a not great in coverage, right? That's always going to be probably the weak point of his game. He could do any everything else. His coverage, eh. Not bad, but also not his strength. His strength is playing your line of scrimmage, making tackles, uh getting getting behind the line of scrimmage, knifing in, you know, even getting sacks. Uh he does he is able to get some interceptions. He's a good playmaker. 
Just not the best coverage safety. And I'm not sure it's going to be hard to find an agreeable price that really makes both parties happy on that one with what happened in the safety market this offseason. There's still some safeties. I mean, Kenny Vaccaro just signed. Eric Reed is unemployed. And even like guys like Mike Thomas, who the Giants ultimately signed, the market for those guys were tough. Now, Landon Collins is obviously a better player than those guys, but the market in general for safeties is down. And what um, I'm drawing a blank, uh, Eric Berry got a couple of years ago from the Kansas City Chiefs, it might not even be attainable several years later. And when you think about it, the market usually almost always goes up. But this time, the market, I think, on the safeties might, might have held steady. And that might not make Landon Collins or anyone else happy. Or even gone down. Which is almost unheard of with the salary cap increasing every year. So, that's that. Last question. Michael Snyder at MAS8823 says, if our linebackers continue to struggle trying to cover tight ends, do you think we will go to a three safety set and let Collins cover them? Well, I just brought up the whole thing with Collins. So I don't think he's the ideal guy. I mean, I think he's better than the linebackers for sure. But yes, I do think a three safety set is something the Giants might use more of this year. Uh, actually, they have used it a bunch, but the three safety set might be something that they use more often. I also think a possibility if they struggle to cover tight ends, especially if it's Alec Ogletree like we saw last night. I watch it every day, and I and I thought this maybe coming in might be the case, and I've always been a big fan. I like B.J. Goodson. I think he might ultimately be the better linebacker on this roster this season than Alec Ogletree. I know one guy's getting paid $10 million and one guy's, what, a Third round, a third or fourth rounder from a couple of years ago. He's a fourth rounder, Goodson. And so you think, oh, the guy who's making the $10 million and was a veteran and uh, has some sort of resume is the better guy. But I think BJ Goodson might be the better player. You saw some good things from Goodson last night again. I did at least. Knife through the line a couple times. So I think when all is said and done, he might end up playing that bigger role. Than Alec Ogletree. But three safeties, definitely something I think we'll see a lot of. And with that, that's the end of the Giants After Dark segment for this week. On to the next one. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Breaking Big Blue. Again, I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. Feel free anytime to send me questions via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. You can find me. Just go search. You know how to use that Google machine, right? Just Google my name, Jordan. It's easy to spell. Ranan, R-A-A-N-A-N. And you can find me on any of those social platforms. And my email, you could always find it. It's out there. Trust me. You want to email me, jordan.ranan at ESPN.com. Email me questions. I want to hear your feedback. And make sure to catch every episode. You can get it on iTunes, on Google Play, on uh, any podcatcher if you're an Android user. So make sure to give us good ratings and make sure to come back every week because now that the season started, or at least the grind started, the real season didn't start, the preseason started, I'm going to be here for you 
every week. So don't miss it. See you next time.